All right, good morning, good morning, good morning. It is absolutely great to see you. Let me tell you why it's great to see you. Uh, in no particular order, uh, there, this is some of the reasons it's great to see you. Uh, first of all, this is the first time I have seen some of you in, uh, in, in a COVID. In other words, this is your first Sunday back since COVID, and so we are thrilled that you were here. Others of you, you are back for the first time since having COVID, and you're not, you're not contagious anymore, but you're in the building and you're in the room, and it is so good uh, to see you here. There's also folks here that I've never met before, or maybe this is your first time with us, and we are thrilled that you're with us. All kinds of reasons why I'm excited to see you here. And then also, um, this summer, I've been off a few Sundays, and I've been preaching a Sunday and off a Sunday and preach a Sunday or two and then off a Sunday and I am back. I saw uh, Weed in the hallway and she said, Alan, are you preaching today? I said, yes, I'm actually preaching, I think, every Sunday for the rest of the year except for one in November. So it is good to kind of get back in the rhythm of being back with you. And it's also uh, great to see you online. And I wanted to spend just a moment for us as a church family to think about what that means. Whenever we look at the camera, whenever I look at the camera and say, guys and gals, we are thrilled that you're with us, worshiping online with us. Some of them that are worshiping with us online because they are sick or because they're in quarantine or maybe you are still kind of taking it cautiously uh, as it relates to COVID. There's all kinds of reasons why people are worshiping with us online. But my question to us as a church family, and I know the answer, but my question to us as a church family is when we say to them, we miss y'all, we love y'all, we're glad you're worshiping with us online, do we mean it? And I know that as a church family, we mean it. When we say we are glad they're with us, we wish they were in the building, but we understand all of those things, we mean it. But the question that I have for us is, as a church family, the challenge that I have for us as a church family is, are we taking the steps that are practical steps to inform these guys and gals that we really love them and we miss them? You see, it's one thing for me to be the voice of the congregation to look in the camera on Sundays and say, hey guys, we love you, we miss you, and we're glad you're worshiping with us. It's another thing if we as a church body see that it's our responsibility to reach out to people and love them and serve them and pray for them and visit with them and have a phone call or send an email or whatever the case may be. So I'm challenging everyone in this room as well as everyone watching online, if this is your church family, do everything in your power, if you are not already doing so, to reach out to folks that you haven't seen in a while. Check in with them, let them know that you love them, and see how they're doing, because we need one another. And I don't want to let it be a sincere and yet empty voice to say, guys, we miss you. I want us as a church body to do all that we can to love one another well, and to pray for one another, and check in on one another. So I encourage you, if you've got contacts of church members and you haven't seen them in a while here in the building, or maybe you haven't been in the building and you haven't seen the folks that are here, do everything you can this week to reach out to one another. And if you don't have contact information and you're a member of our church, reach out to the church office this week. We can help you get in, connect, uh, uh, sorry, in contact with one another. But again, those of you that are worshiping online, we are thrilled that you're worshiping with us today. If you have not taken an opportunity already to fill out a connection card, if you're a first-time guest, we would love for you to be able to do that so we can have a record of your visit. I, that, not, that's not true, not a record of your visit, but have an opportunity to reach out to you after the fact and say thank you for coming, thank you for worshiping with us, answering any questions that you may have about the church. We'd love that opportunity to do so. 
Also inside the worship guide this morning, uh, we'll talk about it more in a little bit, but inside the worship guide is a list of the hope groups that are being offered this year. There is one more group uh, that's not on this list. They, they made the list uh, a little bit after this was uh, printed, and I don't have the details for that, but it's my understanding that, is this correct, the Bowders are leading a group? All right, so the Bowders are also leading a group, Randy and Autumn. If you're interested in being in their group, it'll be online soon, and you can catch them today if you know them and uh, chat with them about the details for their group. All right, we are in the middle of a year-long series called uh, Foundations New Testament, where we're walking through the New Testament as a church family. Uh, we're encouraging you to consider reading through the New Testament with us one chapter a day, five days a week, so five chapters a week. We've got a reading guide that's available out in the the, the hallway, we also have the reading guide online. Also at the bottom of the worship guide, there is the reading plan for this week. And so you'll see on uh, the back of the worship guide that we're finishing up Second Peter uh, this week, Second Peter chapter 3, and then we're jumping into the Gospel of John. And so next week we'll be starting uh, a new series on the Gospel of John that's, I think, five weeks long, and so I'm looking forward to that. But this morning, we're going to be looking at 2 Peter. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up. If you've got a digital copy, you may want to switch to the NET today, which is the new English translation, because I'm actually going to be reading from the NET this morning. But if you don't have that translation, it's okay. Grab a Bible. There's Bibles in the chairs around you, underneath you. If you don't own a Bible or you need a Bible at the house, that's our gift to you. You can take that home with you. But in just a moment, we'll be looking at uh, a passage from 2 Peter chapter 1 in the NET. I normally read out the ESV, but today I'll be reading from the NET. Before I get there, though, I'd like to show you a, a picture of something. This is from my daughter Alana's college. It's called uh, the All Card. So if we can get the All Card, there it is. She's going to Northern Kentucky University, and this is not her picture. That, that, that's not Alana. Instead, this is Victor E. Viking, because they're the Norse. That's what they're called, and so that's kind of their mascot. And it's an example of what they refer to as the all-card. And I wanted to show it to you because it's kind of snazzy. Here's what the all-card does. If you are like me, you went to high school or college and you had a student ID and you really weren't sure why you had the student ID because it really didn't do much for you, but you're supposed to have it and you have it. Well, at Northern Kentucky University, it is called the All Card. Like, why is it? That's kind of an awkward sounding name, but actually it's a very fitting name because with that All Card, uh, Alana can do just about anything she wants within reason. And here's what the All Card does for her. When she goes to the cafeteria, she swipes it. When she goes to a restaurant on campus, she swipes it. Uh, whenever she wants to go to the free, get this, I love this part, the free food pantry and get food for her dorm room, she swipes it. It gets her free food. Whenever she wants to go to the laundry room, which I love this part too, it's a free laundry room. She doesn't have to put quarters in the machine. She swipes her all card. Whenever she wants to go to the rec building and work out like her daddy, she can swipe it. Whenever she wants to do anything of any importance, she swipes it. And here's the deal. She can get into any athletic event on campus with that swipe and she gets in free. Although I'm a little worried and I would ask y'all to pray with me, please. Northern Kentucky University does not have a football program. So I don't even know how they call it athletic program, but she can still get into every athletic event. And then this is kind of a really cool feature. She can ride the Cincinnati, because it's actually a suburb of Cincinnati. She can ride the Cincinnati bus transit system all over the city of Cincinnati for free, unlimited, with her all card, and she can swipe it. You're like, why are you telling us all this? That's because, here's why, I would love to have an all card in my life where anything I want, I can just swipe that card and get it. It's kind of a neat feature. 
Well, here's the deal. As cool as the alt card is, Jesus, and stay with me because a sound bite may not work really well here. Jesus is not an all card where he's your genie, you can get anything you want, but he is so much better than a stinking all card because Jesus truly gives us everything that we need. I'd encourage you to open your Bible, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, I'll be reading verses 3 through 11. Again, I'll be in the NET this morning. And, and Peter is writing this letter to let us know how we are to live for God. And he's writing this letter to explain that Jesus, again, is so much better than an all card. And I don't want you to think that that means Jesus gives you any and everything you want. Rather, Jesus gives us everything that we truly need. Look with me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I can pray this, and you can go back and read verses 1 and 2 if you'd like. He's talking about uh, the opening of the letters. I can pray this because his, talking about God, Jesus Christ, his divine power has bestowed or given, it's bestowed on us everything necessary for life and godliness through the rich knowledge of the one who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these things he has bestowed on us his precious and most magnificent promises, so that by means of what was promised, you may become partakers of the divine nature after escaping the worldly corruption that is produced by evil desire. For this very reason, uh, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith excellence, to excellence knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness, brotherly affection, to brotherly affection, unselfish love. For if these things are really yours and are continually increasing, they will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive in your pursuit of knowing our Lord Jesus Christ more intimately. But concerning the one who lacks such things, he is blind. That is to say, he is nearsighted since he has forgotten about the cleansing of his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Make every effort to be sure of your calling and election, for by doing this, you will never stumble into sin. For thus an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. I want us to look at this passage together and see the things that we receive or we get or is bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ. And you'll see on the back of your worship guide, if you've got it, that I've got uh, uh, sermon notes and it's actually one sentence. My three points form one sentence and we're going to look at them phrase by phrase. And the first thing that you see there is that God has given us everything we need. God gives us everything we need. I've already alluded to this, but the question is, does this mean he gives us everything we want? Absolutely not. Because we, in our flesh, can want some things that are not necessarily God's desire and plan for us. And even in our uh, uh, sincere attempt to follow God, sometimes we don't know what is best for us, and we don't always know what we truly need, but God does, and he gives us everything we need. Look at the phrase that you see there in verse 3. What is it that he gives us? He gives us everything necessary for life and godliness. I want, I want us to look at those two words. If he gives us everything that we need as it pertains to life and godliness, what exactly does Peter mean? What is this that God 
gives to us. Let's start with the word life. The word life here carries with it more than just breath, more than just physical life, more than just um, the goings about of a normal, average, everyday kind of situation. He does give us the air that we need to breathe. But the life that he gives us, that he gives us everything we need for life, carries with it this idea of eternal, everlasting, abundant life. You see, God provided everything we need for life. As you study the, the, the scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll find quickly that because of our human nature, what we experience and what we deserve is not life. It is not abundant life. It is not the good things that God has to offer to us. Rather, what we deserve as humans is death. You see, the Bible is very clear that all of us, 100% of us, are sinners. That all of us have chosen to follow our own path instead of God's path. That we go about life doing things our own way, in rebellion against a holy, perfect God. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of the scripture is this, that through Jesus Christ, as we have read about in this text, that through Jesus we have the opportunity to be forgiven of our sins and therefore to be able to enjoy the blessings of an abundant, eternal, everlasting life. So whenever it says that, God gives us all that we need, all that's necessary for life. First and foremost, what we must understand is that the starting point is our need for a Savior who offers to us his life. And because he died on the cross for our sins and was raised on that third day, that we can experience eternal, everlasting, abundant life. Sorry about that. Now that abundant life that we experience begins in the here and now. The everlasting life that God offers to us through Jesus Christ is not just when we get to heaven. It's like, okay, I got, I got that, my eternity secured, and I just go about doing life the rest of uh, the, my years on this planet, just kind of doing my thing. No, everlasting, abundant, eternal life begins in the here and now at the point of salvation and carries on into the future, ultimately into the very presence of God. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But whenever Peter says that we have everything we need in that we need for life. He's referring to salvation that comes through Jesus and through him alone. Now, he also says that we have everything necessary for godliness. What he's getting at here is this, that our life in Christ does not start and finish, finish at salvation, but rather whenever we come to salvation, whenever we come to faith in Jesus Christ through repentance and God's grace, through Christ that he's designed us to then begin to live for him. He calls us to a life of godliness. My question for us is, when's the last time that we really evaluated our life and seen that God has called us to live a godly life, one that obeys God and one that seeks to be holy as he is holy? You're like, I don't know how to do that. Like, I, I'm a sinful person, and I, I want to live for God, but I, I, I find myself sinning at times. How, how do I live a godly life? We have to look back to this phrase that says that in God, in verse 3, he has bestowed on us everything necessary for life and godliness. So whenever we put these two words together, life and godliness, we see that with eternal 
life, with salvation, it should lead us to a transformed life. One that is holy, one that is godly, one that is obedient to the commands of Christ. So my question for you, there's two questions. Number one, have you experienced this life? Have you trusted in Jesus for your Savior? Have you acknowledged that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and that salvation comes, life comes, relationship with God comes only through Jesus Christ, what he did on your behalf? Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you accepted that free gift that he's offered to you? If you haven't, then would today be the day that you trust in Jesus for salvation? The second question I have is, if you have trusted in Jesus for salvation, is your life reflecting godliness? Is your life being transformed? Are you living a life that brings glory and honor to God? We're going to keep looking at this passage to figure out how it is that we can go through life living in a godly fashion that would bring honor and glory to God. So how do we experience how do we experience, how do we receive this life and ultimately this godliness that he's talking about? There's three pieces. You may want to jot these down. We see in verses 3 and 4, three keys to experience everything necessary for life and godliness. And, and here's the first one. The first one says this at the beginning of verse 3. He says, because of his divine power. What we have to understand is the only way that we receive everything that we need as it pertains to life and godliness is not anything that you and I do on our own. The only way we receive this is by his divine power. That word power uh, is actually dunamis, which is where we get the English word dynamite. And so we see here a tremendous amount of strength, explosive power, ability to do anything through Jesus Christ, through his divine power we receive everything we need for life and godliness along those same lines here's the second phrase i want us to look at it's also in verse three it's at the end of verse three it says this uh let's see through sorry it's in the middle of the verse uh everything necessary for life and godliness through the rich knowledge of the one who called us by his own glory and excellence in other words it's only through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The only way that we can have everything necessary for life and godliness is if we truly know Jesus. In the NET, it says rich knowledge. And the reason it does is because there's actually two words in the Greek for knowledge, and perhaps you've heard one of them, maybe you haven't, but one of them is gnosis, spelled G-N-O-S-I-S. So that's one word for knowledge. But this word for knowledge actually adds a little prefix to it, and it's epignosis, E-P-I goes on the front of it. And the reason it is is because it's more than just knowing something intellectually. Rather, it's a full, complete, intimate knowledge of something or someone. And so whenever it says that we have everything necessary for life and godliness through a rich knowledge of Jesus, it's talking about knowing him intimately, completely and being his and then the third way that we can experience this life and godliness is in found in verse four look at this phrase in verse four it says uh kind of down in the middle of it it says that you may become partakers of the divine nature 
So the way that we experience everything we need for life and especially for godliness is by experiencing or partaking in the divine nature. And I, I know that if you uh, study God's word, you may for a second press the brake for a second. Or you may press pause. You're like, well, wait a minute. Is this saying that we somehow become God? Like we take on his human nature? No, absolutely not. Never, never, never. Rather, what it's saying is to be partakers of his divine nature means that because of God's work within us after salvation, as he is molding us and shaping us and making us to be more godly like him, he is shaping us more and more into his image. And as we take on more and more of his image and reflect more and more of his image out into the world, then we are living more and more godly. And so to be partakers of the divine nature simply means that God is doing his work through his divine power, through our rich knowledge of him, restoring his image in us in order that we might live for him. In other words, we see in this that God gives us everything that we need to first know him and then to live for him. Everything necessary for life and godliness. You may be wondering, okay, that's great. I get that. I understand that. But how can I practically experience this? Like, how can I receive this life and godliness? How, how can I be a part of this? What tools does God give us for this life and godliness? I, I would ask you to consider these three ways, these three things. The only way that we can experience his life and godliness is first and foremost through his spirit. It's his work in us. Whenever you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, and the Holy Spirit is now at work in your life, and his role is to convict you of sin. His role is to shape and form you. And here's the deal. You and I should go throughout our everyday life hearing and responding to the Holy Spirit's leadership in our lives. If we want everything that's necessary for life and godliness, then we've got to be receptive to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The second thing that we need to see is that we have access to everything we need for life and godliness through his word. Through his word. We, we, we have the Holy Spirit guide us, but we also have to get into God's word to understand his revelation of himself to us. You and I must be studying and applying God's word on a daily, regular basis. I love that you're here this morning. I love that you're tuning in this morning. I love that maybe you're signing up for a discipleship class. I, I love that hopefully you're signing up for a hope group. I love that you're being a part of what's going on in the life of this congregation. But if all of the studying that we do of God's word comes on Sunday morning and maybe one other time during the course of the week when we get together with believers, we are shortchanging what God wants to do in our life. We must be in God's word on a regular, consistent, intentional basis. Let's read God's word. Let's study God's word. Let's allow God's word to penetrate in us. Be diligent to study God's word and share with others what it is that you're learning. I've shared with some of y'all and, and uh, my running uh, buddy down here, Scott, although we've never run together, but my running buddy, Scott, I share with y'all all the time that over this last 11 months, I have gotten into running, and I love the fact that on Basically, five mornings a week, I can get out and run and burn a little energy because I've got energy to burn, listen to maybe a podcast or a book, and get some good, healthy exercise. But my question is, do I prioritize that over getting into God's Word? 
In other words, if I'm given an option, I've got enough time in the day, I actually have enough time to do both of them, but if I've got enough time in the day and I can either go run or I can read God's Word, am I going to choose to read God's Word? We must prioritize studying God's Word. We prioritize other things like brushing our teeth or eating or watching that ball game or running in the mornings. Let's prioritize the study of God's Word. And then the third area that God uses to give us everything that we need for life and godliness is his people. It's through his spirit, through his word, and through his people. Guys, God made us for one another. We cannot do this without each other. Yes, we can follow God with, uh, attempt to follow God without always being in community, but if we're not in community, we are not fully following God. That's how God wired us. He made us to be members of his body. You see, we don't gather on Sunday mornings so we can be a part of a worship service or event and then walk out the door. No, we gather as a church family we need each other as a church family. And to go back with what I said at the very beginning, this is why it's a struggle for us. Some of our church family that we love dearly and they dearly love us for various reasons have either had to be out an entire 15, 16 months or good portions of it, and they miss being here with us, and we need to miss them not being here. With, oh, I don't know if I said the not in the right place, but we need to miss them uh, not being here, and we need to love each other well. See, God has wired us for community. Church membership and church participation matters. We are a family. That's why we have hope groups. I want to encourage you. If you are a member of our church, if you are a regular attender of our church, don't miss out on a hope group. Sign up for a hope group today. Sign up for a hope group this week. They start up next Sunday. You don't want to miss it. God has designed us to come together as a church body, as a church family. Be a part of doing life together. Jump in a hope group. Also, I'd encourage you to jump in a discipleship group or a D group or a discipleship class. I would encourage you to serve together as a church family. I would encourage you to spend time together. I'd encourage you that when we dismiss on a Sunday morning that you don't run out the door, but you spend 15, 20 minutes visiting with those around you, meeting new people. Because God has designed us to have everything we need that's necessary for life and godliness. And he provides that not only by his spirit, not only by his word, but also by his people. So, this first point says that God gives us everything that we need. My question for you is, are you trusting that God is sufficient? Are you trusting God's provision for you, or are you looking for, God's, uh, are you looking for purpose elsewhere? Let's look at the second point. God gives us everything we need, secondly, to pursue an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. Verses 5 through 9 refer to that. I love in the NET what it says in verse 8. In verse 8, it says that we are to be in a pursuit of knowing our Lord Jesus Christ more intimately. So in this section, let's consider what it means to pursue an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. To pursue an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ means that we want to know him not and his word, not only so that we can um, um, pursue godliness to be a good moral person but to truly know Jesus Here, here's what I mean by that 
If God gives us everything we need for life and godliness, then we know that we're supposed to pursue godliness or holiness or living an obedient life uh, uh, towards God. But we shouldn't pursue obedience to God simply so we can be labeled a good or moral person, but so that we can become more intimately knowledgeable about who Jesus is. And so in the beginning of verse 8, 5, I'm sorry, verse 5, it says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And he goes through seven things that are supposed to be added to our faith. Do, do you see that he repeats himself? Add to your faith excellence, and to excellence knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. And he goes on through the list. In other words, these are building blocks. Like each one of these pieces is critical. And I don't know that it's an exhaustive list, but it's a pretty good list. These seven things that we're to add to our faith, as we add to our faith and we're becoming more and more godly as we live out these characteristics or traits or these virtues. Let's look at each one of them quickly. And that is the first one that's listed is excellence in the NET. Excellence just simply means moral behavior. He says, add to your faith the desire to live a morally upright life. Then he goes to knowledge. And in this case, in the Greek, knowledge here is gnosis. And it, and, it, and it means understanding the truths of God and the faith. In other words, it's understanding doctrine. So he's saying to live a godly life, we need to pursue moral living that's defined by the, the doctrine of the faith. Then he goes on to self-control. Self-control is the discipline that we're to have to follow through on doing what is right and avoiding sinful behavior. So in other words, as we get the right information, as we get the right knowledge, the right doctrine, then live that out through self-control. And that self-control does not really mean I'm doing it on my own. It's actually God's work through me uh, to, to, to do that. Then he goes on to the word perseverance, which I think we probably all kind of know what the word perseverance or steadfastness is. It's the ability to endure in demonstrating self-control. So you can see how each one of these is building on the last one. And then it says godliness. We're to add godliness, which is devotion to things of God. And then he moves to brotherly love, which means that we are to love God's family. That we're to be loved on by God's family and we are to love our, our, our family that God has given to us. Our church family. And then it finishes with unselfish love. This unselfish love is the Greek word agape. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. It's, it, it carries with it an undying, unconditional love. You see this is a pretty exhaustive list. He says, pursue these things, add on to your faith these seven characteristics, and as you do, you'll become more and more godly, and you'll become more and more intimately knowledgeable of Jesus Christ. So, do we now just kind of take this as our marching orders? Hey, let's just go out and, all right, I'm going to live out this characteristic, and I'm going to check it off, and then go to the next one, and then live the next one, and check it off, and go through that. No, we, we, we must realize that First and foremost, we cannot live these character traits out without the Spirit's work within us. The only way we can is that this is Spirit-empowered. But also, the way this operates is not like I just sit down and go, okay, all right, God, give me these character traits, and I'm not going to do a thing. I'm just going to sit here, and you're going to magically uh, do this, and I'm not going to be a willing participant. No, it takes, first and foremost, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and then secondly, a willingness spirit within us to begin to live these out. In other words, it takes diligence, it takes intentionality, it takes uh, an urgency from us 
takes intentionality to follow Christ and to grow into his image. If you don't kind of follow me yet, look at verse 5. Verse 5, it says, for this reason, make every effort to add these on. He's telling us that it takes our effort on our part. Yes, it's Holy Spirit empowered, but it also takes effort on our part. This is the central command of the section. Try as hard as possible as the Holy Spirit works in you to add on these character traits within your life. And then look at verse 8. Verse 8, he says, but if you do these things, then he says, um, if these things are really yours and are continually increasing, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. He's saying that you want to be the opposite of those two words. He says you don't want to be ineffective, rather you should be effective. You don't want to be unproductive, rather you should be productive. Let's look at the negative words for just a second. The word ineffective. Do you know what that word means here? It means lazy. It means being idle. It means accomplishing nothing. It means standing around doing nothing. Now, if you, any of you work for the state... Uh, please, uh, or construction team, please forgive what I'm about to say. But you know the stereotypical thing where you're driving down the road and there's like 400 guys standing out there and they're working on a project. And can I ask you a question? If there's 400 guys out there and they're working on a street project, how many of them are working? One. That's what it seems like, right? Everybody else is kind of leaning on their shovel. Now, I've never worked one of those jobs, and, and I know it's easy for us to be critical But the reality is this, if they are really being lazy and doing nothing, if they really are being idle, that's not what we need to do in our pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ. We need to see that we should not be idle. We need to be a willing participant as we seek to grow in our faith and godliness. The word unproductive. I I, I imagine we know what that means, barren or without fruit or useless. What Peter is saying is you need to put forth the effort so you can actively grow and produce fruit as the Holy Spirit is working through you. But many of us are living powerless lives as Christians. This past weekend I was in a go-kart a few times. And boy, I was, I was good at that go-kart driving. Just ask my son. And we raced each other. And I don't know if you've been on a go-kart track lately, but whenever you come to the last lap, do you know what they do to your engines? They idle them down. Have you been on, on, that way you don't come flying through at the wrong speed. So they idle it down. And I kid you not, on the last race that we did, dude, I didn't think I was, it was like, I think I can, I think I can. Because they idled that bad boy down where I had no power whatsoever. I was pressing the, the, the accelerator and we were not doing anything. I thought I was going to have to get out, push that thing to get on through the line. And as Christians, so many times we run with our engines idled way down, not putting forth any effort We need to realize that we will not drift into godliness. It takes intentional, diligent, spirit-empowered effort to be godly. It all begins by genuinely, truly knowing Jesus. So on this point, I'd ask you to reflect in a couple ways. Is knowing Christ intimately the priority of your life? Are you in a relationship with him? Are you intentionally and diligently seeking the Spirit's power to help you grow what are some steps that maybe you need to take what are some things you might need to eliminate in your life if we're going to take intentional effort to grow spiritually then it's we need to acknowledge that it's going to require an investment of our time it's going to require the investment of our resources it's going to require the investment of our energies 
But all too often, we're investing our time, our talents, our energies into any and everything under the sun besides our walk with Jesus Christ. It's time for us to correct that, to allow the Holy Spirit to work within us so that we can intentionally invest the time, resources, and energy to come to know Jesus more intimately on a daily basis. You see, we aren't to just confess our faith. We're to live it out. Because Peter says in verse 5, add to your faith the following things. It's one thing to have faith in Jesus Christ. It's another thing to have genuine faith that's lived out on a daily basis. So let's look at this last point. We started this morning by saying that God gives us everything that we need. He said, we said that he gives it to us so that we can pursue an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, it's so that we can walk confidently in our salvation. That's the third point on your notes. So that we can walk confidently in our salvation. Verses 10 and 11 talk a good bit about this. Look at at verse 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to be sure of your calling and election. Another way to say sure of your calling and election uh, would be to be confident in your salvation. I mean, who doesn't want to walk through life confidently? All of us want to be able to walk through life confidently. I'm going to flip back a week ago. I, I was in Austin. Uh, forgive me for that. No, I'm teasing. I was in Austin last Sunday. And James and I were uh, driving around town, and here's what our intent was. My intent was to go by six different places that I had saved in my phone to see murals. I don't know if you've looked at the murals in Austin, but there's a lot of them on the buildings and walls and things like that. So I had six sites that I wanted us to see. And then I was going to finish with us going to the Blanton Art Museum. And so I had all of those in my phone. But I real quickly learned I had zero confidence in finding any of the above things. Of the six murals, you know how many we found? We found a whopping two. I couldn't find the other four. I have no clue where they were. They were in my map. They were on my phone, but I didn't find them. I mean, I've got partial excuses. One of them was apparently right in the construction zone, right on campus that you couldn't get there because you had to detour around it and you couldn't get there. So because of streets I was unfamiliar with, because of traffic, because of a son who was anxious to get there and not take a lot of time to try to find things, and because of, I don't know if I said it, construction, I was lost and confused and I had zero confidence. And it finished even when we parked in the parking garage to walk to the art museum. We're walking to the art museum and then I realize they've got a fence around it because it's construction going on and there's one sign that says go this way to the art museum. There's another sign that goes this way to the art museum. And I'm like, those two things don't seem to go together. I have no clue. And I was like looking at my phone trying to figure it out. My son had all the confidence of the world and he turned out right. I was completely wrong and he found how we could enter it. All this to say, not uh, to, to talk trash about Austin, but simply to say, I know what it feels like to go through life feeling inept and unable to do anything. And the reality is this, that because of our knowledge of Jesus Christ, we can walk confidently in our salvation. God doesn't want us to wander around in life confused, unsure, uncertain. He wants us to enjoy this life that he's given to us as we experience confidence in him and not in our own ability. I said a moment ago, I read it, verse 10 says, Make every effort to be sure of your calling and election. Peter says that we can be sure of our salvation. 
And the way that we can be sure of our salvation is because of the fruit in our lives. He followed up this list of the, character rate, the characteristics and the traits, the adding uh, the excellence and the knowledge and the self-control and the seven things that he listed. And the result of that, he says, is that we can be confident of our salvation because of the fruit that's in our lives. I want to be clear that fruit is not the cause of our salvation. However, fruit does give evidence of our salvation. And so we need to evaluate our lives. I mean, Peter literally is telling those who are reading this letter, make sure of your salvation. So I'm saying to you this morning, make sure of your salvation. Peter says there's a couple of reasons why we need to have confidence and what confidence of our salvation brings to us. Look at verse 10 again. At the end of verse 10, it says, For by doing this, by being confident of your salvation, you will never stumble into sin. I, I want to look at this a little bit closer. To say that we'll never stumble into sin does not mean that we'll never sin again. Rather, what he's saying is that those who practice these qualities and these character traits, those who live out a godly life, won't fall from the faith or embrace false teachings because we'll be grounded in who God is. The second aspect of our confidence is found in verse 11. Verse 11, it says, For thus an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. When we walk confidently, sure of our salvation, then we can be confident that we have gained and will gain entrance into the eternal kingdom. See, whenever you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you have already become a kingdom citizen. However, we are waiting for the consummation of that on one day. Whenever either the world ends or my death comes, whichever comes first, I'm waiting for the consummation of that relationship in heaven. So, what I think Peter is saying is that when we're sure of our salvation, we can walk through life confidently knowing that our salvation is then able to empower us to live for God. And what we have to see is that this confidence is not in ourselves. If I walk around confidently, yeah, I can follow Jesus, and all the confidence found in me, I'm going to fall every single time. But if I walk confidently that my salvation is sure, not because of who I am or because of what I've done, but because of who God is and what, he, what Jesus has done for me, then I can have true confidence in my salvation. So my question for you this morning is this. Are you sure of your calling and your election? Are you sure of your salvation? If not, let's make that sure this morning. Let's say yes to Jesus for salvation. Those of you that are Christians, are you staying within the boundaries of God's word? Are you living a godly life? Are you living a confidence in knowing him and following him? If so, then you, it says here that we won't stumble into sin. Maybe you do have sins in your life that this morning you need to come and repent of today. I don't know about you, but some of what has transpired in the world in the last year, year and a half, has made me long for the day when we're away from this sinful, broken, fallen world and in the very presence of a holy, perfect God. And those of us that are sure of our salvation have confidence, as it says in verse 11, that we'll have entrance into that eternal kingdom of heaven in the very presence of Jesus one day. And then one final aspect of confidence in our salvation. Are you 
because of the confidence of your salvation, able to go out and communicate to others their need for Jesus and how they can come to know Jesus intimately and personally. So this morning, we've looked at a great promise. Verse 3, it says that God gives us everything necessary for life and godliness. Again, it's not everything that we think that we need, but it's everything that he says we need. He gives us everything that we need for life, both to know him and to follow him. We see here the power of the gospel, that the power of the gospel is to bring about a changed, transformed life for his glory. Is your life changed? Is your life being transformed? You see, God is more than sufficient, and in him we have everything we need for life and godliness. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you have provided through Jesus everything that we need. God, I thank you for the reminders that we have in your word, not only here in 2 Peter, but other places as well, that it's only because of your work in us that we can have confidence in our salvation. Father, I pray this morning that every single one of us would do what Peter encourages there in verse 10, that we would take a moment to make sure of our salvation, of our calling and election. And that God, today, that we would respond as you lead us. May you be glorified, may you be honored, not only with the words we're about to sing, but with our very lives. May we not just walk out of here going, okay, that was kind of cool, but rather would we allow your spirit to be at such at work within our lives that we will leave changed because of your word that has been communicated today. God, we desperately desire not only life, but a life full of godliness. And Father, I pray that you would teach us how to experience that through your spirit, through your word, and your people. May you have your way in this place. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?